Today, I'm talking to Haifa Curry with Sotheby's International Realty in Silicon Valley. Haifa grew up in Palestine. Due to her own persistence and innovation, she skipped her senior year in high school. She then went to college in Beirut, and after college, she went home to Palestine and was teaching school. It wasn't long before Haifa met an American man who she fell in love with and would marry and move back to the States to raise a family. In 1980, in her new home, the United States, far away from everything she knew, Haifa was divorced with three children under the age of six. She had a family to support now and needed to find a way fast. You may recall interest rates were 18, 19, and 20%, the 1980s, not a hot market. Everyone told her, it is too risky, Haifa. You've got a family to support. You can't be a real estate agent. But Haifa saw opportunity in the problems that the market presented. And she had a vision. She knew her drive, and she went for it. Within a year, she was the top agent in her office. This year alone, Haifa has been on 39 listing presentations and won 38 of them. She has a business, service, systems, and marketing that she says generate warm leads and new clients. Not quarterly, not monthly, not even weekly, but every day. Haifa says she knows the market and the numbers and never stops learning. She says that she serves her clients beyond their biggest expectations. She says, we go the extra mile and don't call it extra. Haifa and I talk about how to win listings and ideal clients. Thank you for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. Our episodes are powered by Breakthrough Luxury Coaching and Membership. This is a coaching platform that was created and inspired by Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. At Breakthrough Luxury Coaching, this is coaching and membership that provides luxury real estate agents, community and coaching that create results. To learn more, go to getstarted.breakthroughluxury.com. To get the full story, go direct to the homepage at BreakthroughLuxury.com. There's a letter from me explaining how all of this came together, and this is now launched in a big part and powered by the Jerry Metcalf Podcast. Last but not least, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, Modern Luxury Magazine, who's been there through the ups and downs and some of the greatest successes of my career as a real estate agent. At Modern Luxury, connection and community define who we are. Modern Luxury is the nation's largest media company offering leading brands access to the most affluent audiences in the most prominent cities across the United States of America. And lookbooklink.com, thank you for your sponsorship. This is the digital business card, your digital business card, and it's here. To see mine, go to lookbooklink.com forward slash JMP. Create your own with ease in minutes. You don't even need your kid's help. And you'll have a custom name and a custom QR code for sharing. It shares not only your contact info, it shares key resources for your prospects as you meet people. Your prospects and people that you meet will not only never lose your information, they'll see right away why to hire and refer you without you saying a word. Go to lookbooklink.com and use promo code JMP123 for a 10% savings on every lookbook link you purchase. And now for the show. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today on the show, we have in Silicon Valley with Sotheby's International Realty, Haifa Curry. Haifa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So a little bit about Haifa, and then you're going to fill in the blanks before I start asking you more questions. But she is a top real estate agent in Silicon Valley and with Sotheby's International Realty. She's in the top one and a half or 1% in the country. You also have now are now partnering with your daughter in the business. Is that That's right? Correct. Yes. And so 
there's a whole lot to talk about and you weren't born in this country. So that being said, focusing on the career first, anything that we should highlight, like for example, you were talking about having 39 consecutive listing presentations and you won 38 of them. That's correct. Anything else we should know? I think it's the mindset and it's the not being attached to the outcome. Oh, I, I like used, it. I used to beat myself up if I did not get the listing. And sometimes I would do the listing presentation that before my daughter joined me and I would leave and I would say, oh, I'm not going to get it. And then when I get it, I would be like dancing in the streets. <laughs> and then there are times where I don't get it and I just... I would try to reach out for the seller and say, can you please um, tell me what could have I done to gain your business? And sometimes mm -hmm. they don't share. And I would just like be so frustrated and I would just like beat myself up for like two or three weeks. And then I said, this is insanity. I'm just going to say next. I'm not going to get attached to the outcome. I'm going to go in and do my best present my marketing plan, show my value, and mm -hmm. hopefully they will see it and they would want to work with me. And there are times where people will say, we would love to work with you if you want to work with us. And they, they will sign the listing on the spot. I love that and, because it sounds like you didn't change. You already cared enough and you were working hard enough, but you were showing up desperate. And desperate never, never, never feels good to anybody. It wasn't desperate. I think the, the thing was having an accent and I have lived here more, more than I had lived in my own country. I still cannot get rid of the accent. So the perception of people, they perceive me as someone who does not know the real estate law. But then I started changing my listing presentation. Initially, my listing presentation when I was doing it solo was all about me, 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 copies of all the awards, copies of all the letters that I was the top listing agent, copies of all my listings that sold. But then I, my, when my daughter came, she said, mom, this is like all you're just tooting your own horn and it has nothing to do about the seller. So we changed our listing presentation completely and it's all about the seller. It's all about them. And that's when things, this is our breakthrough, breakthrough, that it just changed everything. So there are two things. When I finish what you were saying, were you going to add something to that? Yeah, I was going to like, um, I was in the business. I mean, I started in the business November of 1980. And, and I'll tell you. Well, actually, I'm going to let you pause right there because I want to talk about you got into business in 80. But before we go there, back to the listening presentation, two quick things. Because yes. I want everybody to stay with the conversation. Two things in that listing presentation that happened were, number one, it was realizing not being attached to the outcome. Yes. And in a way, when you are, it was more about you. And number two, shifting your presentation, rather than trying so hard to prove yourself, you shift the focus even of the presentation to the seller. Now, yes. in that presentation, some people say there's so much focus on the broker, the broker, the agent, the agent, what we do, what we do. What was the, were there, was it a completely new presentation or were there small shifts in that presentation? Completely new presentation. Completely new. Um, wow. we, we, still, we still, the thing that we kept are the testimonials from clients, uh, but most of it was all about the seller, all about the process, all about our marketing, explaining how we do it, what we do and what works and what doesn't work, showing them stats of clicks of listings, thousands of clicks on certain listings, showing them things, homes in their neighborhood that were on the market with another broker that failed to sell. And then we come in and we sell it in a week. We show them numbers. Numbers don't lie. I mean, when you look at numbers from Zillow and Redfin, that how many people had saved the listing, how many people clicked on it. And we show them what other agents post in MLS. They post like 20 pictures. We post 80 plus pictures. Mm. We have drone, we have video, we have 3D tour, we have floor plan visuals. So it's just 
showing our value. And we talk about that before we talk about anything else. This way, wow. when the subject of commission comes up, after we talk about what we do, we say we charge 6%. I mean, here in California, especially in the Bay Area, we have lots of discount brokers. Mm -hmm. We're up against top brokers that charge under 4%. Yeah. We get, most of the times we get the listing at 6%. Wow, because you're, you're, make, you're presenting value. People we show the value. value. Yes. If you're, if the funny thing is, if you're competing on price, you're a commodity. And as a real estate agent, it's, it's, it, it's not about that. Otherwise, Zillow would have won a long time ago. Right, right. And price, I mean, and we tell people, if you're going to choose an agent based on the price they give you, that's the wrong, that's the wrong way to do it. I had a client who is a repeat client. I've known them for a long time. I sold the commercial building for them. I sold a rental property. And three years ago, two years ago, he wanted to sell um, a property that he thought it was worth $6 million. And he said, Haifa, I am not selling it for less than $6 million. It's worth like three, five. I said, Greg, I would like to be a size two, but it's not going to happen. He said, you are crazy. I said, I am crazy, but not as crazy as you are. And guess what? It sold for three, five. Oh, my God. I love that. I am so like such an anti-scripter, a big listener, like in, in like communicating. <laughs> but if there was ever a script, if there was ever a script, that is the script. We, we like two things you said in there. That's it. Sorry, go ahead. That was awesome. <laughs> so he, he says, okay, you win. And so we listed it at three eight, and you know, all the offers came in around the three five, and we got it at three five for an all cash. And he said, You were right. I said, I told you. <laughs> two so two scripts. Number one, I want to be a size two, but it's not gonna happen. Like that is a script. That is a yes. script. And number two, when they say you're crazy, yes, I am, but I'm not as crazy as you. I mean, like, <laughs> I'll stop, but I've, I'm not tears because those are the best ever. If you're going to script everybody, that's it. Okay. So, so let's go to, and then we're going to get back into how you do business, but I want everybody, and I want to learn more about you too, because you didn't, you know, you got a full life ahead of you before you became a real estate agent in 1980. So where do we start? What's your story and how should we hear about where you grew up and how you grew up first? Or you want to tell us about getting into real estate first and then we'll go. No, we can talk about where I grew up. I, I grew up in a small college town called Birzeit. It's about 11 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And I went to a private school. Then um, the school decided to close the 12th grade in 1968. So, and I didn't want to go to a public school. So I went out, there was like, it was a private school. There were only seven kids in our classroom, but that's 11th grade. I was the only girl with six boys. So it was like me, I would be number one or he would be number one. So Gus, and I told Gus, I said, let's go talk to the dean and see if he will allow us to take the SAT test and maybe skip the 12th grade. And he said, you're crazy. I said, well, let's try it. We've got nothing to lose. He can always say no. So we went into his office and, and asked him and he looked at us like, huh? I said, let, let's just allow us to take it. He says, okay, I'll allow you to take it, but you guys have to score 90% or better. We did, and we scored over 90%. And he was so impressed that he got us scholarships. So we got scholarships. And, wow. and I went to the American University in Beirut. I finished uh, my master's in math and psychology. So it kills me when I go on a listing presentation and people just look at my accent and think that, oh, she doesn't know anything. But anyway, then I, I, I taught for one year. I taught uh, an all girls high school. I taught math. I hated teaching. Then I met my husband at the time. Uh, his mom is American. His dad is Palestinian. He was visiting. We met, we got married and I came here. So you, so you taught school in Beirut? 
or I, no, I taught school in Palestine. In Palestine. So you grew up in Palestine, then you went to school in Beirut, then you go back to Palestine, you're teaching a girls' school, and then that's where you meet your husband. I met him, he was on vacation. He was he was living here in the United States. He was in the US Army. And then he was visiting, he was visiting his parents, and I met him there. Wow. And then we got married and I came here. And um, we got married at the end of 72. And then um, 1980, we, I filed for divorce. Three kids later. <laughs> Six, three kids. I mean, what a full life. Six life. kids. All, three kids all under the age of six. So first of all, growing up Palestinian, I'm going to assume, I think pretty safely, that divorce is not something you even consider. First of all, going to America had to be quite a venture, an adventure. It was. It was. And yeah, and divorce, I mean, I'm Greek Orthodox, so in our church, it just doesn't happen. I yeah. have all priests and all family members calling me, telling me not to get a divorce and all that, and I just said, come live with him. <laughs> yeah. Living with him, I'm not going to put up with this. I have a How life. did you know? Because there's a lot of things. I'm assuming, you know, I, I don't know a lot about how you grew up, but because you, you went to school, you were very ambitious and very competitive at a young age, but sounding like a typical American, that's not what I would have expected. And not only that, but you come to America and then you do what you're not supposed to do. Like most women would just suffer. Like, where did that come from? Like, how did you know? Yeah. My, my parents had a happy, happy life. My father treated my mom like a queen. And this is how I thought marriage would be like. Yeah. But then when my husband would come home drunk all the time. And so I just said, this is not a life for me. I do not want my kids to live around someone like that. And what year was that? Was that a, when you became an agent or what year was that? 19, 1980. I filed for divorce in September. Uh, no, in July. I went to school. I met my, um, I ran into my agent like two, three days later after I filed for divorce. Mm -hmm. And she said, what are you up to? What's new? I told her and she says, oh my God, you will be amazing as an agent. Why don't you come with me on broker tour on Tuesday? I said, you're on. I went with her on broker tour, went on tour, went to lunch. And I said, oh, I love this because I loved looking at homes. And when we were looking to buy, I always went to open houses and I always, you know, looked at all the different architecture. So I went and signed up for school and I took classes in Burlingame and in Menlo Park so I can finish fast. I finished in six weeks. I took the test and I passed. And two weeks after I... Well, of course you did, because look at your I education. <laughs> wow. So did they tell you real estate agents aren't normally considered that brilliant when you got into yes. this? Or <laughs> and lots of people lots of people said oh the market it's it, interest rate is 18 percent. nobody is buying right. yeah. why did you get into it now you have three kids it's going to be difficult yeah. get somewhere where you can have an income i said no i like it i'm not going to have an eight to five job i don't want to have somebody to be my boss i want to do I it love my you way. like how did you like where did you come from? Well, obviously we know where you come from, but like we're like that, but like on the planet, but like, like, this is amazing. So you come in and you're like, just because and it's interesting because it's just because everybody says that's the way to do it. You always want to take the advice of wiser people, but there's a part of you that knew here's what the rules are in place for, but here's an understanding and living by that is also understanding the purpose and the bigger picture. Yes. For your life. Yes. Yeah. I, I said, these people don't know me. They don't know my ability. They don't know my drive. They don't know how competitive I am. They don't know how persistent I am. I'll tell you a story about persistence that's going to crack you up. All right. <laughs> I can't wait. You want me to tell you now? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So it wasn't like I started, like I said, the end of 1980. Um, a year and a half later. Um, I was called to do a listing presentation. I did not even have a listing presentation at the time. I mean, there was nobody had a listing presentation at the time. It was like 
you just go in yeah go in and sell yourself or if somebody and i think they had seen my name on a sign close to where they lived and it's so they saw that it's sold but they knew nothing about me and when i got there they had already interviewed four agents and I pass by this house all the time. And it's like, it's one of my favorite houses. It's like, oh my God, I just love this house. So when they called me, I was like, I was just jumping for joy. It's like, I could not wait to go in and see the house. The husband was just very snobbish to me. He was like sitting like this, like, I don't want to listen to you basically. Mm. And it was like, I felt uncomfortable and and I know that he was like, he even asked toward the end, he said, oh, where did you go to college? He probably thought that I was just a high school dropout or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, the assumptions between being an agent and having the accent, it's like, what do you really know? You're not even from here because they don't understand yeah. what's beneath right. the surface. Yeah. So the wife, the wife was very pleasant, but he was very snobbish. And, and, and it was like just the week before Thanksgiving and, at the end, they said, we had interviewed, uh, we've done with our interviews, you're the fifth person, and we will get back to you after Thanksgiving. We have family coming over the day before Thanksgiving from out of state, and we will get back to you after that. And I left there and I said, hmm, I'm not going to get it. For sure, I'm not going to get it. But then, like my inner self kept saying, who are the other agents they interviewed? They're not better than I am. I am young and I have the drive and I can get them all the answers and I can hold it open every weekend, whatever. So I go to an Italian deli and I know the butcher. I said, I want you to give me your best salami stick. I bought a, the largest, the best quality salami stick. He wrapped it in white paper. I bought sourdough bread. I bought cheeses, put a basket, a bottle of wine olives, whatever. And I wrote on the salami stick, this is no bologna. I really would love to to work with you on marketing your home. Oh my God, I love that. And that's day, growing up marketing. The day after Thanksgiving, the wife called and she said, my husband had quite a kick out of it. And he told me to call you. You got it. You, you, we want to list with you. Wow. And that like that story is so powerful in so many ways because it's creative marketing, clever. Don't forget to laugh at yourself. Yes. And sometimes there's a benefit to people not seeing you coming because that husband probably underestimated you. And it kind oh. of set sometimes when people set the bar low for you, it's not so bad because it 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 gives you the opportunity to surprise them. To, to prove them wrong. Wow factor. Yeah. Oh, that's what I can say. I'm gonna prove them wrong. And yeah. I did a good job in a bad market that I sold it to one of my clients with cash. And I've received like over the years, we've become good friends. Over the years, I must have received like 11, 12 referrals from them. Wow. And from the sellers? Yeah. Yeah. From these sellers. Well, what I a great story. House. Yeah. But I just, I felt like did not, I felt defeated for like a little bit. And then I said, I'm going to gain their business. I'm going to think of something. They have family coming in for Thanksgiving. So I dropped it off at their door just before Thanksgiving at five o'clock in the evening, Thanksgiving Eve. And because they have company coming. And it's like, I, I a bunch of stuff. Well, so being somebody who was new in the 1980s, when interest rates were at like 18 and 20%, mm -hmm. and now we're at, what is it? I'm looking to the right to check the date, but it's like, not like, I don't know what time of year it is, but we're 100%. late, right. Yeah. It's late 2022 and interest rates. What's so funny. I remember when I bought my first house, I'll age myself. I'm, I'm not too young. I'm not too old either, but whatever. But it was when interest rates were seven and a half percent. And that was really low. Yeah. And I remember I bought my first house and I called my dad and like, so the interest rates are like 7.4. Should I wait and see if they go lower? No, Jerry, interest rates will never be this low again. Just it, if it goes down a little, it may go up. It won't matter. You will tell your children and your grandchildren about these interest rates are so low. Yeah. Okay. 
they've been down. My house now has a 2% interest rate, but the interest yeah. rates, if you buy a house now is around six. So mm -hmm. a couple of things, it's all about perspective, but as interest rates are going up, it's shifting how people feel about buying in a, in a market where people are, per, where they are high, perceiving them as high, whatever it is, is there, does that matter or what was, because like you said, you came into the market, everybody said, this is a difficult market. You did it anyway. What was it about you that got ahead of the market? It's all about the numbers. And numbers come easy to me. I can calculate yeah. numbers in my head. So what I did when I started, I would look at the real MLS book. We had books. We did not have computers. I would look at the book and I would call, I would pick up the best neighborhoods, the best prices. And I would call the agent. And I would introduce myself and I would say, look, I'm new. I'm trying to get my business going. I would love to help sell your listing. Can you share with me if the seller has an assumable loan or if the seller will carry back? And I would make a list of all the listings whereby the seller will be willing to carry back or properties that had assumable loans. And I would type up a letter with all of these addresses and I would send it to all the business owners. Like lots of Middle Eastern people here have liquor stores and grocery stores. So, and they all have cash under their mattress. So <laughs> I would send a letter to them and I would say, look, there are lots of good deals. You do not have to get a loan at 18%. The seller is willing to carry at maybe five to 6%. These are great deals. These are great buys. Let me know if you would like to take a look at them. I sold between November 15th when I started till the end of the year, I sold four homes. And then the top agent in the office that year sold seven homes. And I was new. But wow. I, I did all-inclusive deed of trust, which most people don't understand how that works. I did uh, seller carry back second. I did um, wraparound mortgages. I did contracts of sale. I just was very creative. And I would go present the offer and the seller would say, what, what, what? And I would just go through explain it. and like repeat, ex explain it two, three times. And I said, this is brilliant. You're brilliant because real estate agents don't make the kind of money they make because this is easy. If we didn't have problems and there weren't things to navigate, we wouldn't have the opportunity to make the money we make. I say, we, I'm not selling anymore, everybody. I'm officially 100% coach now. But back to the story, it's looking at the situation and seeing that in every problem, there is a huge opportunity. Every obstacle is nothing but an opportunity in understanding the problem to identify, right. not kid yourself and like think rainbows and butterflies when that's not what they are, and then bring solutions to the table. And also what I love about that is opening up the door for for people to do business together in a way that people are collaborating and people are working together as opposed to getting in their own lane and being so separate because what makes economies great is when people solve problems together and work together which is what makes real estate great right right and even now agents are saying well interest rates are so high well here's how you talk to your buyer even if you get an in loan at an, a six percent interest you're getting the house at a better price but Assuming you, your client, and I tell them, assuming your buyer is in a 40% tax bracket, their effective interest rate is 3.6 and not 6%. You have to do the math for them. You have to show them because they don't understand it. That's your job to show them the math, show them the numbers, show them their payment. Yes, their payment will be higher for a while, but after taxes, their effective interest rate is much lower than 6%. And plus, they're not overbidding by three and four hundred thousand dollars over. Exactly, and then, it's in perspective. Yeah, and so they can refinance, marry the house, date the rate. <laughs> I love. Oh, I love it. Marry the house, date the rate. Okay. Yeah. This is not going to be the name of this interview, but I want it to be like if you ever screw up, this is it. But there's so much more to this interview than that. <laughs> marry the house date the rate I love it so going into this when you saw these things it was education it was being good at math but it was also 
in the beginning, did you know the solutions or did you sit down and think like what gave you what gave you that mindset and that perspective to see so many opportunities that what everybody else says was such a huge problem? Because I knew that the prices were so low and so affordable and people did not want to pay the high interest rate. So I said, well, the only people that would be buying it are people with cash or people that can buy it with seller carryback or with yeah. assuming a, a loan at a lower interest rate. And that's what I did. And the second year in the business, I was number two in the office because I just kept, and people would look at me every Monday morning at the meeting when the manager will say, hi, I sold another house. People would look at me. It's like, where is she coming from? What is she she doing? Isn't it great? She speaks broken English. How did she she do it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Again, sometimes when they don't see you coming, it's better. Right. right. It's frustrating, but it has its advantages. So, so now as you go through this, because what you really just said was when you're, when you hit a market and you hit a situation, there are the big numbers, the big picture says supplies down, demands high, but you always choose your market. Okay. If supply is like, I remember the great recession, that was what I went through and there was high recession, low demand. I mean, high inventory, low demand. And it was like, no, 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 no. Demands there are houses wouldn't sell. It's how do you position for where the demand is? How do you create the opportunities? So how do you create your market so that the demand is high and the supply is low? And you literally, that's exactly what you did in that market. Mm -hmm. So that's the 1980s. Now, when you came into business, because we're talking 80s and now we're in the early 20s, over the years of business, give us like, what do you what would you say a biggest aha and the biggest lesson that we can learn from you? There might be a few. I think if you take care of the client, the client will take care of you. That is the biggest thing. Um, I would be like my second and third year in the business. I would go meet a seller. They will call me. I'll go meet a seller and they will say, oh, we bought the house like four years ago. And I said, who did you buy it from? And they will tell me, and it's like, this agent is still in the business. How come they're not calling her? I would just think to myself. And they said, we never heard from the agent after the close of escrow. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And then, so I would just nurture my clients after the close of escrow. Um, my clients are my friends on Facebook. I, I see somebody having a birthday. I will text them and I will call them. And I will deliver a bottle of champagne to their door. Right. Keep in touch with them and tell them happy birthday. I mean, if there's nothing else to do, do that. And that's so easy. Yeah, not just a comment on Facebook. And do you have, so we haven't even talked about, because on the closings, there are things you can do, like closing anniversaries. And I know on your website, you guys have, you know, really creative approaches that you've given your daughter a lot of credit for. But I see where she gets her smarts from Um, on buyer or information packages. Actually, I'm going to pull it up but you guys have these great information packages that you offer um, your clients. And what is your website again? Rubaandhaifa.com. There it is. So Ruba is your daughter, but get my home value. You've got to download the seven things. I mean, yes, I love this. The seven things, peninsula homeowners, but you're also your peninsula. You're in Silicon Valley, but need to know before selling their home. I mean, who doesn't want to know that? So we get an email when they download it. Mm-hmm. We get an email with their contact info and we email them and we tell them this information is basically the tip of the iceberg. If you would like to meet with us and go over our whole marketing strategy, we're happy to do that. And we get a lot of listing from that since we redid our website. Are you sure you want us? Are you sure you want me to share this? This is good stuff. <laughs> right? I mean, this is really good stuff, but nobody's you. You know, I'm happy, I'm happy to share all the time. And I think it's just, it's, you work from um, abundance. Um, yeah. It's competing with other people. I'm just competing with myself. And the more you help people, uh, the more God will bless you. This is, this is how I look at it. When you say that, it, I think about it, a lot of people think I've got to get as much of the pie as I can. But what we forget is we're part of the pie and we're contributing and we undermine our own, our own contributions 
and the compound effect of them. And if we focus on what we give, it's amazing how just a little bit that comes back is so much more than, I mean, me personally, than I would have ever dreamed of in my it's career. Karma. It's karma. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's amazing. So you talked a lot about, you know, I'm looking down at some of the notes because we were sharing a little bit before we were recording. Um, client care, going above and beyond, generosity, a little bit of that topic. What is it like to be a client of, of Haifa, of Haifa Curry? Oh my God, they get so spoiled that they keep saying, stop it, stop it, <laughs> you're too much. So we take good care of our clients. On moving day, we deliver food. Sometimes it's sandwiches, pizza, whatever, drinks. Um, we send our cleaning people, cleaning crew, to clean the house so they do not have to worry about it when the moving van pulls out. Um, we give them uh, Dom Perignon champagne, chocolates. Their kids graduate. We're there with balloons and cash gifts for their kids. And they're just, they're, they're blown away. And we're not cheap. Like we, we give them expensive gifts. Um, like nights at the Ritz-Carlton, weekend at the Ritz-Carlton, uh, dinner for a family at one of the top restaurants in the area. Uh, sometimes if they have family visiting, we also deliver something for them. Uh, we just take good care of them. They have babies. We're there to, to deliver gifts. Um, we had a client that had, well, she was diagnosed with cancer two weeks after they moved into their new home. And my daughter set up uh, a Facebook group whereby with all her friends and, and with us just delivering food to them every day. And people would go, she had, she had a three-year-old, so we had to go and help with the baby and just help her and support her. And it's like she yeah. was just blown away with how everyone came together to help her. It, what it, what what I hear, and it's funny because actually one of our coaching members of Breakthrough Luxury was just on the podcast and he said, you know, when my clients hire me, they adopt me. And it's like, you guys are, you're basically let your, you become a part of the family. That That's, that's how it is. And I have a client who is very, very wealthy and I have like over 23 designer bags and I, all my jewelry and my Rolex watches are from them. <laughs> it's we, we deliver. We, we exceed their expectations. We go above and beyond. We go the extra mile, but we don't call it extra. Mm. Um, so we were there all the time. We ask clients, they say, oh, we're going away for like one week. Are there any plants that need to be watered? Do you want us to remove the newspaper from the driveway? Uh, do you want us to check on the house? Is there, do you are you expecting any packages? So this is like, they say, oh my God, will you do that for us? I say, of course we will do that. And like, they tell all their neighbors, they tell their friends, their colleagues, we get referrals. I mean, every week, like last week, we got two referrals. The week before we got two referrals. We get I'm lots of- Yeah. Now, what is it? Because it sound, this is just ingrained in the way that you do business. How long did it take you to kind of adopt this way of thinking and being and acting and doing? Because it sounds like it's really just a part of your business now. But for to do that, it would take a lot of effort. How long did it take you and how did you figure it out? I think probably about 10 years. I did not know that you're supposed to give clients a gift. <laughs> right. After the close of escrow. I mean, when I was new, I did not know. Yeah. And but then I saw an agent trapping wine bottles. I said, what are you doing? She says, oh, I have two closings and I'm going to go give these to clients. I said, oh, that's a great idea. Then I started doing it. Yeah. And yeah. then you liked it or what happened? Yeah. You like this work or because you've gone a lot further than giving a closing gift. I gave wine to a client that I wasn't aware that he was an AA. <laughs> There's always that. Right. <laughs> So he called me and he said, thank, thank you for the wine, but I don't drink. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I said, oh my God, chocolate is coming your way. <laughs> yes, exactly. Chocolate always is good for that. Yeah. Um, but like, as this has evolved, 
you've kind of I'm, I'm imagining well there are two things first of all this is just part of your systems and I think what's so powerful is there's so much out there about like scripting unless it's your scripts <laughs> but scripting or calling or pushing and when you the clients that we have when we serve them not just with these lovely thoughtful gifts that serve their lives and contribute to them but also have the the mind and the things that you bring to the table that really solve their problems our business you know you've just elevated and it seems eliminated the competition or what does competition look like what has it looked like from the beginning and what does the competition look like now and how do you navigate that we know you're competitive well, initially, I just was like really um, hang up on my accent. I said, oh, they don't want to work with me because I have an accent or because I don't blend in. And then I went to um, Lou Tice's seminar. I did my CRS and I took the Ninja selling in 1997. And then that just changed the whole thing. I said, you know what? If they don't like me, if they don't want to work with me, it's their loss. And that's how I look at it. So from that time, when I, it's like the mind shift. Yeah. Then I became more confident and more, I shouldn't say aggressive, just like presenting myself for who I am and showing my value. Well, your mind went from figuring out how to get people to becoming a better version of yourself. Yes. Which created someone incredibly desirable to work yeah. with. Right, right, right. And yeah, now I, to keep up with all this gifting, do you have any systems or do you just, you're like the grandmother, you just like do it. I don't know, like, how do you keep up with it? In my garage that has pounds of coffee, Dom Perignon, beef Glico, wine, chocolate, gift bags, scratch pads, pens, tape it's measures. It's a store in there, right? It's a store. And... Every time I go out, I put something in the trunk of my car. I pass by a client's house on tour and I'll just drop something and I'll say, just thinking of you, hope you're doing well. Um, these chocolates may not be as sweet as you, but enjoy them anyway. And I'll leave it by the door and I'll text them. I said, left something by your door. Sorry, I missed you. And that way you, you basically, not to sound so cynical, but you have in many ways it's important in business to be incredibly consistent and have the spontaneity to create yes. that wow factor. And you have a system that's very consistent that gives you the, the ability to create spontaneity every day. Right, right. And a listing comes on the market on, my, on a block where my clients live. I'll email them the listing. I do not want them to go to the open house. I do not want them to call and ask what is listed for. I'll email it to them. Oh, just an FYI, a home just came on the market on your and block. that's the way to if you're going to call and contact people every day that's the way to do it that yes. is so powerful the referrals yeah. that that will generate staying in touch yeah they say oh yeah we know these people blah 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 and but yeah you you did not call you did not tell them to call me what was wrong with you <laughs> oh but that's where i was going right but yeah. here's what's great Here's what's yeah. great when it doesn't go well you're next in line which sometimes second or third agent is the best yeah <laughs> yeah wow okay so now i've got we're going to do the three the final three questions so actually i want to ask one more we're going to do four we're going to do a final four over the career of your business what would you say has been the biggest challenge and how did you overcome it well the biggest challenge is my writing skills I used to hire an assistant to do my flyers. Before that, I would just, I'm, you know, being a math person, it's like I am just facts. I would do the flyer, I would put the address, the city, number of bedrooms, baths, garage, square footage, lot size, and that's it. And my phone number. And like- Why are they need anything else, right? One, our transaction coordinator in the office like years and years ago, she says, hi-fi, you can do better than this. I said, no, I can't. Can you help me write things? I said, <laughs> so she started writing my flyers for me because I just like, I'm challenged when it comes to writing skills. My writing skills are bad. 
you tell me to do um, give you a cap rate on a multi-unit building just by giving me the numbers and I will just give it to you without using a calculator. But writing skills are just like horrible. Have people do, have people around, focus on what you're good at and have people around to do what's better. So that's what I did. But then when my daughter joined me, she's actually a very good writer and she's very articulate. She was born and raised here. Uh, she's multilingual. She speaks four languages. Wow. And so it's... Um, so, so that's, that's Ruba. Challenge. We're, we're going to have Ruba on the show, but, but keep going about your daughter doing the writing. Yeah, so, so that was the challenge. And then when she joined me, like my friends would call me and they say, who did this for you? I said, Ruba. <laughs> they know. They know. Like this one friend of mine, and she keeps telling the story. We, yeah. were, we were on tour. It was a Friday. We were on broker tour all day long. We went and toured. And then the on Saturday, I was going out of town. I was going to Lake Tahoe. And then I was as I was getting out of her car, she said, well, have fun. It must be good to get out of Dodge. And I said, I thought this was a Cadillac. <laughs> she had a Cadillac. I never heard that expression before. <laughs> it would be good to get out of a Dodge. For anybody who loves Dodge, sorry, unless it's a truck. Dodge trucks are great. I, I never heard that expression before. Really? And then she started he, laughing. She could not stop laughing to explain to me what the expression was. Oh, I love that. Anyway, that is awesome. All right. Now we're going to the final three, three. Now okay. I may think of some extras in between. But the first of the final three is looking at your career. What would you say has been your greatest resource for your success? I think persistence, uh, consistency. We do monthly mailers, consistent every month, whether the market is good or bad. Um, following up, delivering on our promises, exceeding mm -hmm. the expectations, show up and listen. I mean, lots of people go in, talk to a seller, and it's just all about, you know, all about them. And we go in and we look at the pictures and we start a conversation with the seller. We start, like, we look at that, what they have in the home. We let them talk about their family, about their grandkids, about their kids, about their life. People like to talk about and their life. the stuff comes out that you need to know for the listeners. Yes. Yeah, and you, you get a lot out of that. Mm -hmm. So we connect with them. We connect with the client. We just connecting, let them talk. Connecting yes. with people. You said persistence, consistency, over-delivering, and listening. And then I was thinking, having the consistence and persistence, they give you the ability for spontaneity. But it all comes at the center of that, sounds like it's just connecting with people. Connecting with people. Exactly. I've had, I've taken, like within the last six months, two Uber drivers are now buyers. They're looking to buy. I just asked them, how is the family? Uh, one Uber buyer took me to the airport like so early in the morning and I gave him a tip that's the same amount as the, the ride. And I said, you know, I really appreciate you waking up so early to take take me to the airport. And I asked him about his family, about his kids. And he like, he did not stop talking. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm in real estate. He says, oh, I'm looking to buy a house. Give me your card. So it's just talking to people. Yeah. Second question. If there is a book that has changed or made a, the biggest impact on your life or your career or both, what is it that we've just got to read? Well, I think because I've been doing this for a long time, I think these seven habits of highly successful people was a game changer for me. I would just like highlight all the pages and I would write down some of the things and I would just go back and read it. Um, I'm an avid reader. I, I just finished reading uh, Never Split the Difference. And it took a while to get to get into it. But then like, oh, my God, like this is negotiations at 101. Yeah, that book is unbelievable. I read it's it an, eight times. It's a great book. I mean, I have it next yeah. to my bed. It's not moving from there. <laughs> I read most books like half of the book or I'm getting better about reading the entire book. And the few I yeah. read twice, I read that book eight times. Yeah. I mean, you have like, who moved my cheese adapting with change. Oh, yeah. I, I just, the millionaire 
um, real estate agent, uh, the magic of thinking, thinking big. Wait, well, I've not heard the magic of thinking. Magic of thinking big. Oh, the magic of thinking big. Who wrote that one? Oh, you cannot remember. I have to look it up. Okay, um, so we'll find that. But the one I think is—is is it the Seven Habits? Is that the one? I yeah, that, I We're like that. Share all of them with everybody well, on, the, on your show notes. But just really, I got lot a lot out of it. Wow. But I'm sure because I've been in it for a long time, uh, there are lots of books. The Ninja Selling is a great book. Um, so it's there, there's lots of good books out there. Uh, the Brief. Um, oh, with, Brief is good. Yeah. Brief, start with why, uh, how to influence a friend, how to win friends and influence uh, people. Simon Sinek, start with why, how to win friends and influence people. That's Dale Carnegie. You read them yes. all. Now, how do you, so... I get them in, especially when I was selling through audibles in between appointments or phone calls. I would literally like do five minutes on a book and five minutes on a call. Is that how you do it or how do you fit in all these books? No, I, I read before I go to bed at night. I have to read. Wow. I, I, if I read before I go to bed, it's like half a paragraph. Oh. No, you know, sometimes I get into it and I like to say, okay, one more chapter, one more chapter and I end up staying up late. That's awesome. And that's really good for you. Okay. Last question. If we forget everything in this conversation today and only take one thing from you, what do you hope that that is? I would say there is no right way to do the wrong thing. Always do the right thing by people, no matter who they are, whether they are going to benefit you or not. You just, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Wow. Powerful. Haifa, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been such a fun, enlightening interview. You have so much to offer. Thank you for your generosity with your time and your insights and everything you have to offer. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. To find more episodes, search Jerry Metcalf Podcast on any platform for podcasts or go to jerrymetcalfpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-E-T-C-A-L-F podcast.com. Podcast.com.